Paul accepted each of us. Joining made us more than we could ever be alone. And while a human joining is unusual, Tal accepts you as well. You're... You're Senatol. Welcome to the circle. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me on the Trill HDR planet are... Bill Woywad. Adam Bowen. Molly Bowen-Marler. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed pod that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, but since that's going to be a couple years <laughs> and we're impatient, we're uh, starting with, with the Star Trek that's out right now. Uh, and today we're going to be providing our strange new takes on the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Forget-Me-Not. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world, and your recommendations are the best way to introduce new people to our podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so Notch can read your review and make fun of it on our episode. <laughs> Just kidding. He won't make fun of your review. Your rating will help us appear higher on search lists when people look for a Star Trek podcast to listen to. And just as a heads up, this podcast and literally every single one of our podcasts is going to in include spoilers for the current episode and potentially other episodes of Star Trek and or fandom. So when you are listening to this, you need to close your ears uh, if you haven't uh, done any of that stuff. And if you don't, uh, let's join us up uh, and we're going to talk about Forget Me Not. So, yeah, let's get started. Before we do that, though, I, I want to give a quick critique for myself, Emily, and Rudy last week when we were talking about co-host combinations. None of us made an infinite diversity and infinite combinations joke. Oof. <laughs> and we call ourselves terrible, a Star terrible. Trek podcast. Gosh, how could we have done that? That's why we brought Ryan and I back so that we can correct stuff like that we will make sure to make references i have been taking a little whip and like every day like lashing myself a little bit on my back as penance for this grave mistake that we made anyway uh as you were saying adam let's let's move on to talking to forget me not uh and uh the episode summary burnham and adiro visit the trill home world while saru's efforts on the discovery to help the crew reconnect yield surprises wow that's a terrible description memory alpha get your shit together anyway um i could have done better than that why didn't i i wrote these notes okay so this is the fourth episode of discovery season three it occurred on in university 3189 it's written by alan McElroy, chris silvestri and anthony moranville uh directed by hanel is that hanali. hanali m culpepper we were trying to figure out how to pronounce that before the show and uh Make sure we get it right, and I again messed that up. This is, episode is just going to be my internal monologue, y'all. I don't know why y'all are here. <laughs> anyway, okay. Speaking of which, your strange new takes on Forget Me Not. Who wants to go first? Okay. 
All right. First, like a just a strange new question. Um, okay. Background info: I live in Minnesota. For Americans, will know that that's a really cold state. But if you're not American, well, now you know it's a really cold state. Okay. So, the best evidence I have that we are actually living in a computer simulation is the fact that there are all these like animals in Minnesota that like don't die off in the winter. Like, okay, I get it. I know bears hibernate and like deer and moose just like cruise around and eat pine needles and stuff. But like how do squirrels and like raccoons and stuff survive the winter? I, a person would die in like a day. Just you know? eat lots and lots of garbage. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, if, if there are any uh, zoologists who are listening, I, I want to know that. Um, anyway, uh, regarding Star Trek, um, I think this, this was the best character piece, um, certainly of Discovery, and, and really that I've seen in a, in a long time. I, so, you know, I think it really delivered on that promise. My strange new take is that I didn't realize I'd been holding my breath for four years until yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's not listening to this podcast like this week, you know, you're going to have to figure out what place in time we are. My strange new take with the episode, um, I think this was a missed opportunity to do more with Culber. I was really excited when the episode started mm. and it was kind of a Colbert led episode. And I feel like they kind of dropped the ball. They could have done more with that. So I could talk about that mm. more later, but. Uh, I guess I'll go into my strange new take. So uh, my first one, uh, I didn't write it down, but I, I must admit I prepared this uh, in the minute while staring blankly at the wall uh, before this. So the strange new take is that if you have a chicken who you're trying to give a bath because she has some issues, uh, but she doesn't want to be in that bath, uh, the moment she starts uh, fussing and trying to get out, put her on the ground and then pick her back up because she doesn't realize that the bath is about to happen again. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's the way to do that. Uh, it works every like time. That. So, uh, for, for the episode, I, I, I guess uh, the... My strange new take is connected to Emily's. And I think, uh, I I guess I I was so enamored with the idea of having Culber being the one sort of introducing everything and kind of playing counselor. Um, I I found myself getting a little bit excited because I I feel, I felt a sense of like, oh, we we know like from the episode of Nepenthe that like Star Trek writers nowadays have seen a therapist in their lives uh, and are capable of of writing someone who is sort of uh, empathetic, compassionate, and interested in like bringing you along in your journey to sort of improve yourself. And um, I was just I was really intrigued with the idea of transforming his character more in that direction. But yeah, as as Emily said, we we kind of didn't keep going there. But uh, I was intrigued, and that's my strange new take. Okay, I am gonna I'm gonna keep on with my my TV show, strange new takes, and uh, poor Rudy, he's not here to, 
to give me some big ups for this because he agrees, I'm sure. Space Above and Beyond is probably the sing- one of the single best seasons of science fiction on TV ever made. And you should go watch it. It's unbelievable. And there will be no Battlestar Galactica reboot without it. But uh, moving on, I, you know, I, I have to agree with both of you, Emily and Adam, that this could have been two separate episodes. And it probably should have been two separate episodes in some ways. Uh, because, and, and this is, you know, you'll know when I get to my ratings later, I'm not like a hater or anything on this episode, but I I felt like because they were both, these two stories were smashed together and the scope of the events, particularly on the planet were so small or, or so limited in what we Mm -hmm. saw, it felt everything seemed a little smaller in terms of it's like, um, the the size of the 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 the, the I, I want to use the word lore but not quite the lore you know it, it just it it's it's like the difference between a show where it looks like a fully lived in fleshed out world versus this you know you know we see five people and the same guards in two very different places on this planet and so I think I think I would have liked the the trill one especially given its own treatment um completely but uh and we could i wish we could have seen a little bit more of the trill like planet and their customs 900 years from the last time we saw them you know so so anyway uh i will agree with you all and what better way to move on to story and writing and um we we you'll, you'll reference the kind of move towards a discussion about mental health with with uh, Culber, he says the crew's stress hormones are off the charts. This is, you know, we've seen this come up in the writing for the last few episodes. Finally, the crew gets to deal with it. Bill, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, um, I thought it was really well done, and um, I don't want to get into the Culber stuff too much right now. If we're going to do it later, but um, no, get into it. Get into I, it. It's fine. I yeah, I thought. Um, I mean, I think you guys are right that the episode wasn't all about. Culber and the character development for Culber was somewhat limited, but I think the he was almost like a uh, an omnipotent narrator. He kind of framed the story, um, and yeah, it was almost like a catalyst for for mm-hmm. the other character development that happened and, and the other people. And I thought it worked quite well. Um, and it was definitely the. I mean, I I think it was still the. Um, most like meaningful development we've gotten out of Culver, including the whole coming back from the dead thing, which is kind of stupid. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I, I think I, I agree with you there. Like the, um, this this is something that it's it uh, brought to light something that I've I've noticed it a few times, but it seems like discovery in, um, it's. It's like the main character is not the captain of the ship. Uh, I mean, now that now the captain is also a main character, but the the show is very focused on Burnham, which might have led me to believe early on, like, oh, we're gonna get to know like kind of regular people in Star Trek. Now we have lower decks, and that's like the purpose of lower decks. But it what's interesting is that there are so many people on the on the bridge of the Discovery that honestly I don't rem- I don't know their names. Like I I, uh, I I know Bryce now. I like, it, but it, there's a lot lots of things where like I can go through an entire episode and, and being like, 
I th- I think I know who that person is. Like I know Kayla Detmer and whatnot. Uh, maybe just because I I love having like cool tech on your head, and so like every character that has that, I'm just very into. But like, uh, we haven't really developed these characters when like that was almost unconscionable in like a TNG style show or like Enterprise or any of the others. Like we needed to know the backstory of every single bridge crew character except right. for the random con officer or whatever. Or not wait. Whichever the one that is not data, we did we never cared who they were in TNG. <laughs> but uh Including that it was Vesley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> like uh this this episode kind of like pointed out to me like we haven't learned anything about any of these people besides like occasionally like, oh no, they were best friends with this character we're about to kill off. Uh and things <laughs> like that. And uh I, or that I they really... started, all studied under a tree. Yes, yeah, and they all studied under the same tree, and that was the most important thing for them to see a thousand years in the future. But um, th- this just pointed out a lot of things that we've I feel like we've been missing in Discovery in particular, and I appreciated at least the chance of like, oh, maybe we're going to get into that. Who knows if they drop it next episode, but I'm, I'm hopeful. So my thought with so i guess i was gonna i couldn't decide where the best place to talk about this was but i'll just since we're talking about it now i it didn't quite fully dawn on me until i was listening to a podcast the other day when they were talking about how much michael drives the story and they just use her as the catalyst for everything and as the driver for everything and that's not the case in every other star trek series like mm-hmm. the number one on the cast list isn't the one that drives the story the entire time, right? Like that that yeah. kind of bounces around sometimes. I mean, obviously the number one is the captain on all the other shows, and it's that's not the case on um, on Discovery. Mm-hmm. But um, they totally ham-fisted Michael into this episode. It should have been Culber that went down to the planet yeah. with the deer. Yeah. It should yeah. not have been Michael. And it was annoying that it was Michael. And I love, I really like that character. I don't have the problems with her that a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I like, I, I feel like they're doing a better job at giving her a little more complexity. I like the, the. Um, she's not, I like, like, like Tilly said last week, I like the, the greater lightness that she has now. You know, she's not mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. dark and heavy and bird. She doesn't feel as burdened as she's been before, but um Colbert was the perfect person to go down yeah. to the planet with Adira because he has, he literally has lost himself and found himself again. Right. So yeah. it, I mean, there was, and, and he's the doctor, like it just, it made no sense. And, and they like, so they came up with this weird explanation for why that, how Colbert talks Michael into it. And even Michael's like, yeah, uh, you should be the one to go. Like, it was like, even the <laughs> show itself said we shouldn't be doing it this way, but you know what we're going to, because she's the number one on the call list. And so yeah, the, the CEO of the company says that uh, Michael has to be <laughs> like the catalyst for every episode or something like that. Like, yeah, it, it, it was weird that, that, that call out that they gave of like, we're doing it wrong. We know, but Here's a half-assed explanation. <laughs> another, another theme of this episode was Saru's growth as the captain. And, and it isn't like he's a natural captain, right? Like, I mean, he says this explicitly in this episode. Bike made it look so easy. And so we get to see, uh, unlike Voyager's first episode, where suddenly all the Maquis are wearing Starfleet uniforms with, you know, their Maquis rank pips and everything's great until Seska is, uh, you know, divisive. Everything is is not so great with this crew, and and the captain actually needs to intervene to do something about it. 
and it's not like a you know gray-haired fox comes out and just gives them a great speech and everyone suddenly best friends no it does <laughs> struggles yeah and um i appreciated the the way that that was framed i even if maybe i, I as you'll see i had some problems with some of the mechanics of what went on in the in the dinner <laughs> scenes but um i i appreciated seeing another star trek episode where or where the the crew aren't kind of the best at handling life stuff challenges and everybody's like a phd at at you know mental health and being friends and, and overcoming adversity that it it takes work people you know the, the scene where detmer says it was hard for me to to admit that first mm. i'm like duh yeah, yeah we know <laughs> but at the same time you know to see that actually shown on screen is such an important thing and that like you don't have to be the type of person that immediately knows when you have a problem and like calls a therapist right away you can you know there it's okay if you you're the type of person that takes a little while to come up to that point and and ask for the help that you need so i appreciated that aspect of the 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 episode's story as well yeah very much agree yeah I th um going back an episode or two where detmer first started you know acting strange after she got you know thrown over her console um in the 90s star trek it, the answer would have been that you know she's acting strange because she's been like possessed by an alien or something yeah the, and there the... would be some external plot related thing that would get solved at the end of the episode and i i just thought it was great that actually you know she's not possessed by an alien she just is like traumatized yeah you know it's just a totally human character driven explanation uh, which I, I thought was just great. So welcome. Yeah, there is that slight weird moment, which I think is maybe what not just talking about where she seems to be seeing like the future or something weird. Uh, uh, when she's just like talking about Stamets blood and the drones and, and whatnot, I like, I, I don't, I, I don't really know what that was supposed to be. Like, I, I, I get that, uh, people can say strange things when they're uh going through shit but like uh yeah yeah and, and acted like she wasn't aware that she was saying very strange things well i thought maybe i misread that i but i, I thought that was about stamets getting um like impaled and at the end of last season and she was just like kind of had some ptsd about that that's how i read it too Oh, um, okay, but we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about Detmer and that that particular yeah. incident a little bit later when we get to character pieces. Um, the the way that we handle the the other crew members, Adam, you you had talked about this just a little bit a second ago, and I I wanted to highlight it again that here they're not like fully fleshed out characters, and but they are consistent episode to episode, so that mm -hmm. they're I I feel like there's that. You, you know in, in voyager or like tng you had the same extras walking around in the background so you knew that there was someone there but you didn't learn anything about them and in this series at least we get to see them playing some consistent roles and and that you hear from them a little mm -hmm. bit more so on the one hand you could view it as like oh we're not getting as much as we do from the main characters as, as we did or you can view it as we're actually getting a little bit more of the background characters than we did in previous series and it's been kind of interesting for me. Like, there's a scene where um, 
I think it's Gulber actually in his like walk around or whatever. He stops and talks to Sarah Middick's character. I think it's Henderson maybe? Is that is that her name? Um, I'm going to look this up while I'm talking. But basically Sarah Middick's the person who used to play Arium as soon as another actress took over oh, Arium's Nielsen, role. Or Nielsen. Yeah, Nilsson. Nilsson. Yeah, so Sarah Middick became Nilsson. And he, he stops on by Nelson, and I don't think we've heard Nelson say, like, more than four words in the series, as far as I can remember. Like, nothing where I'm like, oh, I know this character well, but the camera lingers on her so much mm-hmm. in a way that we're supposed to know who she is and connect with her, um, which I kind of like. I, I it's, it's, it's different. It's very different. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that's I, I kind of like it. Yeah, because it, like, it feels like in TNG, like... Nilsson would be appearing in backgrounds of episodes, but would be wearing different uniforms because it's actually a different character. And like, right. that's, they're not doing that in Discovery. And and there wouldn't be that like shot that focuses on her. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't mm-hmm. show up and say a line to Jet Reno in the second episode. Unless they were c- killing her that episode or whatever. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So uh, let's move on and talk about the, talking about the expansion to the world of Trek. I joked about this earlier, but uh, the Trill homeworld is very Instagram friendly. A lot of HDR uh, <laughs> and post-processing on this planet. Um, it's the place people go to edit their videos, apparently. And... Uh, We've seen it before, but it's very funny because the the version of Trill that we see on DS9 uh, is is very much one of those TNG era matte paintings, and <laughs> uh, this is very different. Uh, we had that little fish thing or whatever that's jumping and then flies away. That was pretty cool. That's like oh yeah, I was flexing. by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, but but we did learn some some new stuff about the Trill that has happened in the last hundred years. And what do we learn, you guys? <laughs> well, I was trying to throw it to while he's talking. Well, I was trying to, this, well, the one thing I was thinking that they talked about, there's a sh- the shortage of hosts. So that was something they talked about in Deep Space Nine. You know, they had the program where, um, well, actually, it was the opposite, right? Before they had too many hosts. And so they made it that only a few people were compatible. But And they even said something to that effect. I can't remember. What did they say? Because I, I know they talked about a shortage. Yeah, they, they said that not everybody is compatible with with a symbiont in this but I episode think they as well. Found, I think that was debunked in one of the... Um, I feel like they talked about that in Deep Space Nine, where that was what the Trill population was told, was that mm-hmm. not every Trill host was compatible with the symbionts, but they were told that because there were so few symbionts mm. and they didn't want there to be a run on them, so they had this huge thing that they fabricated... Uh, to make it that you had to go through all these tests to find out if you really were compatible. Anyway, I wish I could remember what it was, but um, I mean, I, I can see some of that. I want to talk about it, but because it like they, there does seem to be. Uh, I don't remember the name of the character, but uh, she seemed to be like the religious leader or uh, of some sort related to like any decisions that we're making about symbionts, um, and it's. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that being a good way of keeping people in line and like, oh, yeah, totally. You have to be uh, compatible in order for this to work out because like our books tell us so and whatnot. Uh, and you should trust me because I've studied them so well or whatnot. Here's here's what we found out in Equilibrium and Deep Space Nine. That there are about 500 symbionts that become available each year for joining. Approximately 5,000 
trill becoming initiates in the same amount of time and th- there's only 50% of the population that was suitable for joining uh, so the general belief in the 24th century was that one tr- in every thousand trills was suitable for joining this was done out of concern and fear for the symbionts as it was felt that the sentient species could come to be viewed as mere prizes or commodities to be fought over and also by the way the elaboration on some of this happened in a AOL chat with Ronald D Moore in the year 1997 awesome wow <laughs> <laughs> so he he established in that chat that symbionts do return to the caves of makala and the underground pools periodically uh, and that's presumably where they procreate as well. So one of the questions that was asked in this episode was also, she's had six hosts. One of them's wearing a Picard era uniform. Um, so that's maybe like something like 500 to 600 years. That seems like a very few hosts for that much time. And it might be that the symbiont, Dal symbiont, returned to the pool for a certain mm. amount of time between those hosts. Yeah, because we always just think about them going straight from host to host to host to host, but that may not always be the case. Yeah. So so we, d- we did also find out relatedly that the caves of Makala still exist. We've seen them in Deep Space Nine, but they're still around. Uh, they didn't build a parking lot on them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was... did Have you seen this, like, white eyes situation? Was that from Deep Space Nine? That looked like kind of a 90s effect. I didn't remember the white eyes, but maybe it was there. I don't know. I do. I mean, I remember the white Jedzia being in that same white gown in that same set um, with the episode where she was, she had to embrace uh, whatever his name was, Duran Dax. Is he the one who is the murderer? Mm, yeah. So that's the episode that they had in the caves. At least, at least the one I could, there may have been another one, but that's the, that was the name when i was thinking of but i don't remember her eyes going white i only remember the white eyes with jordy right. we, we should have prepped for this episode by watching like three or four hours of other star trek before uh talking <laughs> no we need that guy from star trek trivia at trek trivia twin cities uh, who knows everything and wins every week this is always oh. like trill is one of those funny planets where the aliens are called trill and the planet is called trill and the language is called trill and like oh everything yeah everything is called trill <laughs> coincidentally the trill language does not include a lot of trilling so anyway. <laughs> i don't know i'm just making that up but anyway uh, i i just appreciated that the priest guy when burnham has to like save adira the priest guy's like this device will help you let join her for a short time and then like 45 minutes later they're still down there and like <laughs> yeah i was worried they might drown <clears throat> yeah. Well, and it, that actually confused me a little bit because it seemed like everyone was wor- was also worried, like, oh, she might drown. Oh, here, let's send a human after her to also drown. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonder if the symbionts eat the drowned people in those pools. That's like food. Uh, anyway. <laughs> there we go. That's... <laughs> I yeah, like. Yeah, let's just yeah. keep going deeper on this one. I like we're <laughs> deeper into so, the pool. That's what happens to the 999 out, yeah. that don't get joined as they, they get, get eaten. eaten. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. All right. Um, 
I I appreciate the color coded uh trill pla- people. You know, red is good, yellow is bad, white <laughs> is you know who knows. Uh, and that there are at least two guards who are gray, uh, protecting the entire planet. Uh, <laughs> it, Listeners, I just let it show for the record that Notch is wearing yellow. Yeah. Orange, actually, but yeah. yes, I, it, it's it that's shows a bad my, guy color notch. Yeah, I know my, that color. well, it's morally ambiguous. I'm merging the two. You see, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I when when they showed those people and all in the line, I was like totally like this red dude is the bad guy. Just look at his eyes. That's he what Travis said too. Hundred percent evil. <laughs> yeah, he 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 had kind of a sinister look, and but yeah, then it just nope. He had well, no and the other guy either. had a very nice kind of open friendly look and then he ended up turning so they cast yeah. well i guess he needed a drop kick for her the stuff he says to adira oh man Ugh. yeah uh i was he glad he got shot uh let's just put it that way when uh, it was obvious when he said that that was not the first time she'd heard that get, getting getting back to to our talk about the expansion to the world of trick we had zora show up which was so strange. So strange. Did y'all catch this? Yeah, yeah. it was strange. I mean, j- just like our uh, AI overlords now, like we're, we're, we're all searching uh, dutifully into Google. So uh, one, one day it's going to wake up and uh, suggest the perfect pair of socks that we need to buy. And then uh, also inform us who, who we should vote for, et cetera. And <laughs> like... Uh, I, I guess the the same thing happened to Discovery. You just he Googled in about Captain C enough, and that woke it up. Okay, the day my phone starts laughing at me like that, I'm gonna throw it out the window. Okay, and hit it with a hammer. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yep. Right. Alexa and friends are not allowed in my house. <laughs> right. Annabelle Wallace, who played Zora in Calypso, so the the voice of the sentient Discovery computer in the short track Calypso is what we're referencing here. The same actress, Annabelle Wallace, was back for this one. It, you know, some stuff about the sphere, like, f- glitched onto the screen behind Saru as well when it happened, the change. So, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is really like confirmation and the first confirmation that we've gotten that the ship in Calypso is the Discovery. Right. Uh, it is clearly Discovery in Calypso, but it's not clear what how, kind how of you... Discovery. I'm pretty sure in Calypso you see it's it it has like USS Discovery and all that stuff. Yeah, I think they showed it on the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's clear as Discovery, and what is unclear is that in that episode, the computer says that it's gained sentience over time. Mm-hmm. Or at least says that the crew's been gone for a thousand years, and at least has a strong implication. I can't remember the exact dialogue right now. That that that's how the the computer came to be sentient but in this one it looks like it's the sphere so i wanted to hear your theories of how you put those two things together and how we're gonna like is is zora lying in calypso or what what's going on there i i I think that's a possibility or it's just the thousand years that happened like i kind of assumed that oh okay it's somehow it's in the intervening thousand years that they traveled into the future but like uh Maybe that's the year four thousand something that uh, Calypso happens in. Uh, we we do at least have like mentions of the Vidraish and whatnot. So uh, I don't know that it would have been called the Vidraish in like the year three thousand. Uh, it's it seems like a post burn type situation because at least uh, 
Daniels wasn't calling it the Vidrash, although maybe that's just to make it uh, uh, palatable to when he's talking to uh, Archer and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I don't know. Did you hear like they they did, um, or I don't know. If, I thought it sounded like they were overlaying the two voices several times mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. There was definitely like, some sometimes modulation. Sometimes it sounded like it was just Zora, and sometimes it sounded like it was Zora with the computer's original voice. Mm-hmm. I got that too. Yeah, yeah. It's I, and also that. I mean, that brings up the question: like, what happens to the actual computer? I just feel bad for the actress who's playing the computer before. Now you know, out of a job because of the writers. Well, she'll uh, she'll be a new character that's just like poignantly stared at by the camera that we and we'll never learn anything <laughs> about her. But like every once in a while, Culber will like uh, pat her on the shoulder and yeah. That's well, now that it. it's not Majel Barrett, you know they can do whatever they want with the computer voice, you know. Whereas when Majel Barrett was alive, it always had to be her, right? Yeah, and it, it's already been three or four actresses, I think. Um, it, I think the Not Visitor's done the voice of it too. On Deep Space Nine, she was sometimes the voice of the computer. Mm. It's uh, so so the one who plays the Discovery computer in on Discovery is Julianne Grossman, voice actress who's been doing that for for us, and I believe on uh, Enterprise as well. But anyway, hmm. uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, important, <laughs> important to make sure we catch that. Uh, let, let's take a yeah. break over here, actually, speaking of which. And we shall return with some character development notes. The crew would benefit from exercise, medication, limited dairy. Beyond the standard parameters. Yoga, hyperbaric chamber, therapeutic coloring books, interstellar shopping. I do not need an endless list of activities. I, I, I need something meaningful to heal my crew. Computer? <laughs> Hello. Hello? Among many sentient beings, laughter is both healing and meaningful. 20th century Earth comedians such as Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin are communal unifiers without the burden of language. Buster Keaton? Also known as the Great Stone Face. Computer, run a level 10 diagnostic. I'm fully operational, thank you. These connections are beyond the algorithm, I presume. Your crew requires what they used to call R&R, Captain. May I suggest switching the ship to auto-navigation and giving them the night off? The night off? May I also suggest simple gratitude? A private meal, perhaps, with your bridge crew to demonstrate your appreciation. Your choice, Captain. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about Star Trek Discoveries. Fourth episode of season three, Forget Me Not. I nearly forgot what number of episodes it was. <laughs> Just goes to show you, episode titles don't really work. But uh, we should talk about characters. And I think there's no better place to start than a Dieter Tal. So much development. And th- the episode starts with, with Adira wearing the the edf uniform or at least most of it but without that kind of like militaristic insignia bearing whatever thing majig leather thing that mm-hmm. uh, that was there so so there's kind of this transition between the edf maybe potentially joining starfleet mm-hmm. but uh also we heard about the symbiont being called the squid and did it occur to y'all that the discovery crew knew about Simeon so that they didn't know because 
well, as we know, Crusher was surprised on TNG to learn about symbionts. Well, so uh, Saru actually makes a mention of that, uh, saying that based on the sphere data, that uh, we know that symbiont that Trill and symbionts like exist, but that they're. I, th- I think he alludes to something that it, there's no known instance of a human having a symbiont, but. Uh, yeah, so I I think it it just uh in his when he's not googling about being a captain, uh Saru is googling about like uh Trill and like everyone else that we love from TNG and uh yeah, that's just what he does in his spare time. He's like Mariner. Yeah. I got the I got the feeling that um that they may have known about the Trill but maybe didn't know that they were a uh symbiotic species. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the like that that was the first like oh you know, so that was the information they got from the right. database, but they didn't necessarily know about that themselves in their own time. Oh, yeah. In their own time, I don't think they had that information at all. Because, like we said, Crusher didn't have that information. I was kind of hoping that when they went down to Trill, all the Trill would be wearing that weird head prosthetic that they had in TNG. And they'd be like, wait, this is not what the sphere tells us you look like. It's like, we don't like to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just move on. There's an episode in the next Star Trek series that explains it. Anyway, uh, let's let's keep going. Uh, Adira initially knows something's up because they are suddenly speaking a bunch of languages, know a bunch of engineering stuff all of a sudden but has no memories from the symbiont or of their previous life. Right, I was going to say that I don't you get the feeling that they don't know which memories are from the symbiont and which memories are from themselves because they can also make a mean hasbrat. Yeah, and I I guess that I so I I had this uh I wasn't present in the previous episode but uh <laughs> I felt the same Wesley Crusher vibes uh, in, when we got first introduced to Adira's character, but um, I felt better knowing that some of that was just like borrowed memories from people, and that it were like, yes, Adira seems to have uh, their own like musical theme that's like, children are the future, and like uh, the, seeing the world through the eyes of the child, like let's twinkle on some chimes and whatnot. But like the. Uh, it's it's interesting um, seeing this kind of development of the character because it, I'm I'm less uh, it doesn't feel as hokey to me any I guess is uh, and that's kind of what I was worried about uh, with the that Adira has to be a 16 year old uh, genius or whatever like I don't know. Well, and they show with Gray that there's a change that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, um, before the symbiont and after the symbiont, like a, a, an acquiring of new knowledge. So, and str- strangely, of cellos, but I guess, uh, yeah, it, it, they didn't want to invent invent a brand new instrument that's not a thing. Or wait, yeah, but okay, you're right there. I would have preferred some sort of weird alien, woo, alien instrument. But I at least they didn't go into that freaking Bach prelude. That anytime someone pulls out a cello on TV, it's like, oh, there's Yo-Yo Ma playing the freaking... Anyway, <laughs> at least it wasn't the Bach, okay? So yeah, did I... any of you feel that maybe one of uh, one of Tal's previous hosts lived in Discovery's era? Because there was a familiarity with Discover- with the actual technology on Discovery? It's hard to say. So the three Starfleet... So, so there's six hosts... The names are Kasha, Jovar, Madala, Kara, Senna. 
don't know if that's Ayrton Senna, but Senna, and Gray Tal. And when we see them, I took some helpful screenshots that you, dear listener, unfortunately cannot see. But maybe I'll try to make an Instagram post about them. They're wearing three different Star Trek uniforms, or Starfleet uniforms. One is from the Picard era. Um, and I, I, is that the... It, that That's the uniform that's the actual Starfleet uniform during the Picard era? No, it... I th- or is that the flashback? It, I think it's the flashback one. Can so one well, of you Google We've been us? known to screw up which uniforms things are on our episodes, so... Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then I, I... Okay, little spoiler for next week's pre- episode's preview, so if you don't want that to happen, skip ahead about 60 seconds. Senatal is wearing the uniform that we see Starfleet officers of this era of wearing next week, in next week's preview. And then there's another Starfleet officer wearing some sort of a uniform that I, 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 I can't place it, but it's not one we've seen before as far as I can tell. And then there are two wearing some sort of flowy outfit. So, so that kind of summarizes, and only one of them can be conclusively named, which is Senatal, because he speaks. And that, you know, it's an admiral, and we know Admiral Senatal. So th- that, that's a connection we can. We don't know about these other four, um, other than Gray, of course. So. But I thought it was cool that they were on, like we got mentioned that there was a generation ship that was searching for the Federation, uh, was it the Federation headquarters? Right. So that kind of, and I don't know if that means there are multiple generation ships or, you know, so anyway, I just thought that was a nice um, clue so, as to how things were going. And and uh, clarification, the Picard uniform is from the era that Picard is occurring in. It's not the flashback to when Picard is still an admiral. Uh, and, and the reason, the, the way you can tell is that the flashback have this like black uh, trim within the colored like shoulder areas, whereas the current uniform doesn't. It has like this little notch in the collar where the color notches into the black part of the uniform. If you look at the fi- pictures, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, moving along, Gray is someone we get introduced to. Finally, we get to meet Ian Alexander's character uh in in this episode it's clear why they didn't um tell us who ian alexander was going to play because it's a great reveal that it's one of the former hosts not only that it's adira's former partner Mm -hmm. um i will express a little bit of annoyance again at seeing teenage love on the screen i just i don't know young adult stuff really bugs me and i don't i don't know why like maybe it was as a child I was watching too many of these young adult TV shows. Being like, I want to watch big people TV. Why are my parents let me do that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it's some some uh, something inflicted on my brain like that as a child. But I will express a little bit of annoyance. But I will move on to then saying, interesting way that this all went down. Gray gets the symbiont, and then there's a very helpful robot at a convenient time. Yeah. I. I well, th- th- I think. Th- um, they they mentioned that that was they mentioned that was a, a generation ship. So I, I wonder if there are very few people that are actually awake, um, and so most everything is run by the robots. But I, I'm not entirely sure. Were you meaning when the symbiont had to be transferred to Adira? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, but didn't didn't Adira call for help? Uh. I, I recall there being a desire to call for help, even if it didn't act. I don't know if it happened or not, but that was the Because oh, I remember thinking, I don't know that yelling is going to do you any good. You need to like right. hit your comm badge or something, but. 
But hey, who there was a robot nearby that heard and was like, yo, I'm here to make this transplant happen right now. Which is, I mean, it's gonna be really convenient, right? Like one second you're like, ah, oh, my tooth, oh, the robot comes, you know, laser yeah, goes in your I'd teeth. I'd love and to have one okay. of these robots. Yeah. I've, I've broken two of my arms. Uh, I only have two arms, uh, <laughs> coincidentally. It's like, okay. Yeah. Wait, ha- wait had, how many arms do you yeah. have? I don't know, I'm getting confused. <laughs> if I had a robot to just fix me right when that happened, uh, then maybe I could have broken them even more times and not worried about it. So what did y'all think about Grey as a character? I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, he didn't get a lot of screen time, but I think it's a great premise that i hope they explore a lot more uh you know the prospect of you know, your partner dying a horrific death and, and being separated that way is um obviously emotionally laden and has a lot of potential for storytelling but then to make it even more bizarre and you know have have your dead partner's like m- memories or do, you know, so are they really yeah. dead? But they're yeah. they're also living inside your head. It's yeah, very you strange. I don't. Them. Yeah, and it's I mean, beyond I, what we've seen with Jadzia. It's yeah, Gray is actually apparently there in a vision, if not a corporeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring yeah. us Bat- Battlestar Galactica style. Like, I, I guess um, what what interested me, it, I, I I kind of. Um, well, so I I have a bit of cynicism thinking that like, oh, well, they're just going to somehow like go into the mushroom space and resurrect Gray also and then like <laughs> just have like two oh, people man. again. But like the um I remember feeling like uh bringing uh bringing Culber back was a felt like a missed opportunity to me. I I was um cuz they kind of telegraphed ahead of time when they killed off uh Culber that like oh we're not really killing off Colbert like stay tuned for later episodes which turned out to be like a full season ahead of time but um we it what I was int- intrigued by the idea of ha- how do we still have this character be part of the series and how do how do they still interact with the other characters even if they're dead like so we could have lots of like memory sequences or like struggling with uh sort of dealing with like because like the reality is like part of your relationship with your partner go like it still goes on when one of you dies and like it doesn't mean that you don't still have that relationship or like that you're all of a sudden better and whatnot and so it, it um i'm really intrigued to see where they take this relationship with gray because i i think it's a it's a really interesting way to deal with loss and sort of growth out of that but yeah i i half expect that they'll just come out of mushroom space and be resurrected <laughs> uh we shall we shall see we shall see uh any other dealer related notes that you'll have uh that you'd like to discuss i just found it was this isn't need, need to be a big discussion but michael or someone called uh didn't someone said that um for uh it to be a human host that was an aberration and michael's response was or a miracle and I found mm-hmm. it interesting that yeah. she said that before even knowing a little bit more about Adira's story. And you kind of see that, yeah, in some ways it is a miracle. Like what, well, you know, I mean, yeah. it was just like, there just, there were, there were layers to um, Adira becoming the host of Tall that were kind of outside the realm of, you know, normalcy. <laughs> yeah. 
and as opposed to you know since she said since i think it was uh leader was it leader ball leader pav who said aberration that um it was an aberration to be mm-hmm. sure or something yeah i will be honest though if i was adira and suddenly this senator looking dude was like smiling at me i'd be like can i get this out of me now this is a creepy dude <laughs> like you know is, is this what my visions are going to be like every time put up with this person yeah seriously it was very not, strange not in my top 10 desired uh visions yeah I mean, at least it's not a bad moral, right? Like, Senadal doesn't look like that. That long hair and, like, toothy smile. Like, just looks... Yeah, he, he's going to he's gonna give us some cool weed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cheech doll and Chong doll. <laughs> uh, that, that was a very neat sequence. I enjoyed when those six hosts came in. Very, it was, it was very, I really appreciated that very much. Uh, they said, "Welcome to the circle." So, Burnham, we just mentioned Burnham has personalized her quarters a little bit. Uh, gets complimented on it by Culber, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I remember at one point uh, Burnham shouting at Adira, "Open the box!" And all I could think of was Brad Pitt, "What's in the box?" from the movie seven and uh anyway it's hoping it wasn't the same thing it wasn't quint baltor isn't in this movie so or in this episode that was good but uh what original think of burnham in this episode i mean i i i I think i i continue to appreciate the development of her character uh just the I, th- I think we've kind of arbitrarily limited Burnham a lot in the past. Uh, and I, I appreciate seeing like more aspects of her personality coming out and just kind of letting her be a human being, um, which, uh, yeah, we, we kind of just forced her into like uh, the Vulcan side of things, which I don't, I don't know that we uh, always had that um, making the character more interesting or dynamic. And the, it, I feel like I, um we understand her better now when before it was just kind of like an inaccessible like extremely smart person yeah i i agree totally i mean it's like this season the writers were sitting around the writer's room and you know somebody's like okay i have a really really bold idea what if we took burnham and made her cool (laughs) <laughs> and, and it's like this you know maybe this had come up before in prior seasons but they're like no no it's much better if she's boring <laughs> Borum had, she has to be super super boring and that will make a much better character I, I it seems so obvious right like oh like let's make her kind of cool and like fun and it yeah I just I'm enjoying it a lot more <clears throat> yeah for sure Although I will again give Emily, I'll give your your perspective a shout out that it, it could have been something else. I think there could have been a lot of stuff about Burnham if if Burnham had been on the ship during those fights, in the in the family meal and all this other stuff. Like I, I would have appreciated seeing how Burnham dealt with some of those uh, issues as well. Well, and especially because we've had that connection between Detmer and Burnham that it I think is the main piece besides Saru and Burnham conflict that we've seen between characters uh that was sort of centered on more personal things so i yeah i i agree with you that it, it the, sh- the episode probably maybe maybe it would have been better split up into two different episodes and we just kind of delve deep into both but so you know that i've just started thinking about this more culber has burnham go down to the planet with adira because he feels that you know she could really help adira work through this because she and 
was thrown forward into the future, blah, 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 blah. The um, concern that Burnham has expressed in previous episodes is that she has already let go of the Discovery crew and she needs to find her way back, right? And mm. kind of, wouldn't that have been more helpful then for her to have stayed on the ship and have been part of what happened in yeah, the like red room? Now everyone else like, has had this bonding experience that she didn't get to participate in. Yeah, and and I mean, she's she also, she's had to work through some of the things that the crew's working through right now. So wouldn't it have been helpful for, anyway, like it yeah. seems like that was a missed opportunity. I don't, they could have just flipped them. Yeah, because she, she not only had to deal with like, oh, anyone I ever knew died. Also, the people that were supposed to come with me are all dead, I think, because they didn't come through the wormhole with me. Yeah, I mean, you're totally I mean, this is the whole the whole show. So you're totally right. But yeah, Burnham is the center of the universe, right? Everything revolves around Burnham. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it results in pretty contrived uh, plots. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, you know, it's kind of fundamental to the way the show is designed. I get the, the, the Burnham is Messiah stuff. I, I find really um, unappealing, but you know, she always has to save the galaxy or whatever, but yeah. Speaking of saving the galaxy, the one that we want to have saved the galaxy, Mr. Saru, Captain Saru, or Captain, our Captain. Bill, you expressed a great deal of satisfaction to see Saru taken on the captaincy, and I want you to, to tell me what you thought about his performance in that role for this episode yeah i just i just thought it was great love saru um you know he was vulnerable in this episode he you know i, I don't even know if i would say he made mistakes i was about to say that but anyway th things didn't go exactly as he had hoped but he was mm -hmm. still confident i think he never seemed like he was losing control or like a weak leader um and i think it's much much more realistic and also um i don't know in, in, in inspiring for mm -hmm. viewers i mean the idea that like picard just came out of the womb like as picard and like never did anything wrong i mean that's kind of how he's presented in TNG, yeah, except, it, except for that to, first episode but yeah right but we get to go along with saru and grow with him and and mm -hmm. um i yeah i'm really enjoying it <clears throat> It was it was interesting to me to see that he had two options given to him by the computer, and he decided to take this more difficult approach first instead of just like showing everybody a movie and then seeing how that <laughs> went initially. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'll, I, I mean, Saru puts together both a mean spread. He's got aesthetic appeal. <laughs> Lockdown, uh, that was great, and he's the captain's ready room, which we got a great panoramic view of this time. Looks fantastic now did y'all catch that did y'all did y'all see what it looks like yeah, it's yeah that, that guy's been all over pinterest yeah yeah for sure <laughs> i love it i love who it who commented though. last week and now we've talked about this before but who commented on how blue everything is in discovery hmm. i can't remember if someone made the comment and it's true the color palette of discovery is blue and and this hanali culpepper is the one who um talked about uh, the color of Picard being more gold and, and mm. warmer colors. Mm. Picard. Yeah. This episode had warmer colors. And that's why I asked if Hanali had directed. I mean, I know the director doesn't necessarily pick the coloration of the, mm -hmm. of the episode, but um, I just thought it was interesting that she directed this episode and it had a warmer. I, I just found the colors to be on this episode a lot warmer than previously. 
I actually, I, I feel like a lot of that has e has even just happened in the ready room. I like a lot of my memories of the ready room are very red, except mm -hmm. for the um, like, don't you think this darkness makes me look mysterious? That uh, uh, when we int got introduced to um, uh, Lorca, oh my god, <laughs> why can't I remember his name? <laughs> Man, I if there's a character we can bring back from the dead, can it be Prime Lorca, please? I, I, yes, that was yeah, Bill shaking his head. <laughs> no, I agree. I oh, agree. Okay, okay, Lorca, Lorca, Lorca's awesome. I, All the captains have been awesome. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I, I maybe maybe that's what they'll do in Strange New Worlds. We'll just have Pike and Lorca. The ship will explode, and the two of them going off in the shuttle to solve crimes. Like best that sounds buds, awesome. I would totally watch arms. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. bad cop good cop yeah yeah there you go uh, all right let's uh let's let's talk about all the other officers who basically i mean our most of our experience with them happened through suru's dinner party and uh tilly we find out did not have a great family life we've known this before but mm -hmm. we heard that this kind of bickering was a tuesday night at the tilly household and uh also stamets was a giant dick to her yeah and like we were talking about the other day how like he started out discovery as this giant like dick and and how he's got better and this and that and now he's back like I felt like I had a flashback to like episode one Stamets. Yeah, he he regressed to season one. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, to the point where I think credulity was strained. You know, like I can see you know if I I I can see him being stressed and being like we don't have the time we don't have the time but like not like you know. I just went to caretaker, by the way, for a second there. No time, no time! And everyone disappears back in the ship. But um, I could see him being stressed out, but I can't see him being this gigantic asshat to Tilly at mm -hmm. this point. Like, it just, I, I don't know. I don't know what you'll talk. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and we kind of, we've talked about this before, but I, like, Gent Reno has a much more appealing, like being a little bit of a dick, but but like in a way that's like everyone understands, like oh, you're just kind of like ribbing me a bit right now, like but you do care. But you just like, like yes. take the piss out of people. Yeah, right. but, but but like, yeah, he 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 seems to regress a lot of the time into just like oh, you're just an asshole, and I would not want to work with you at all. <laughs> yeah. But I think this was my my structural concern with that whole dinner party scene is that they didn't lay out why it was such a pivotal moment, uh, the fight, the mm. way that it progressed. It didn't work for me because so there's the Stamets thing, which, again, the, I felt the conflict that was a little contrived. But then the whole Detmer thing was also I, I didn't understand why everybody got mad at her for making a, like a clearly horrific haiku about someone's like blood. If someone did, I feel like the reaction to that should have been like emergency transport to sick bay. We need to scan her for like, you know, some sort of problem or like, yeah, she, she's been are possessed you, by an alien demon. And <laughs> right, like, are you okay? Like, are you are you fine? Yeah. Like, not not like Joanne being like, yeah, she's right. You should be thankful to her. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you listening to what your friend just said? Like, yeah. this is clearly an unbalanced person. Like, we need to help them, um, like, overcome whatever's happened. Instead, everyone gets angry and, like, storms off. I don't know. That didn't. I get why it had to happen, like why we had to get from like there's a dinner party to everyone storming off. I just didn't like the like, you know. Yeah, like it it could have. I feel like it would have makes made more sense, and it, I don't know that it would have 
they would have had to change the episode that much. But, like, Kayla could have just, like, said something mean to Stamets. Or, like, had, like, it, instead of going in this, like, weird, like, she doesn't, I I don't know. It was, like, a weird demon-possessed movie where the person just, I mean, that's how she played it. Yeah, like, can't stop saying blood, blood, blood. What what would have been better was, you know what, guys? Screw you. I don't want to do a haiku. Flip over her chair, or flip her chair back and storm out. That would have been more, I think that would have been more realistic. Yeah, and, and people still would have responded and like people still would have been able to respond with like having the later scene of like oh like uh i like uh, i i have this macho side of me i can't uh i i need to understand that i do have a problem going on like we would have been there with with them uh if that's what had happened but yeah we kind of went in this weird horror movie direction yeah it was kind of over the top i it just made me think like wow the like bridge crew has some issues. Like I would not <laughs> want to be captain of this ship, dude. Saru has his work cut out for him. Well, and also, uh, so Stamets' reaction, like when uh, Detmer was basically calling him out, and he's like, "Yeah," and I was back to work an hour later, and that's when someone should have said, "Yeah, that was the stupidest thing you could have done. You're such an idiot. Why are you acting like yeah, that's something to be proud of?" We almost got crushed by ice because like, you did that. Yes, it's like it's like the whole. I mean, and it was just American work ethic on display right there. You know, like yeah. I'm going to go to work while I'm coughing, and I'm going to infect everyone around me with whatever disease <laughs> I have because you can't miss work. And you know, anyway, it's just so screwed up. And the Discovery crew is embodying that right now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was it was kind of strange. We also found out that uh, that Detmer has kind of this pilot macho thing going on and i don't know if this is related but have you all noticed that joanne seems to be giving detmer a few looks here and there like yeah the, that... the, it's been pretty consistent this se- season they've they've been uh yeah i i think that they've been developing a, a relationship between them that's interesting yeah okay so it's not just me all right good yeah i, I like I, I, was... I don't i don't know if it's a romantic relationship but at the very least like they're very close to each other yeah no, like they, but, they trust each other. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sensing something beyond friendship there. But, and so I, I don't know. It is, but it's very subtle. It's not something that they're kind of, you know, Emily, you talked last, last week about the, like, the ogle scenes that occurred at, like, <laughs> yeah. de- that telegraph to the audience. This person is interested in this other person they've been hanging out with. Yeah, it's we, not we been don't that have kind the, of stuff. Yeah, we, we don't have the decon showers uh, in right, that they had in Enterprise, right. so we don't get to see uh, Detmer and Joanne look at each other. We 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 should touch on the fact that Giorgio talks about eating meat and like it was like cuts of meat or something, and I was like, is she going to start talking about eating kelpians? Yeah, <laughs> I thought they were going in that direction too. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah I, I do you think saru knows that that happened uh oh wait because they, they had the thing about because she she talked about how she shouldn't tell him that they eat kelpians but i think he might have still found out somehow i think it was revealed yeah, yeah. okay okay yeah it would have been it would have been weird if like she showed up to dinner and then saru was like i know in your world, this is a delicacy. So here, I replicated. It would have been very strange. You think you think that they can, you know, like the the replicator can make everything, right? So you think that they could make like human meat 
and replicate that. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I think they could. Uh, this, I love this podcast, dude. This is the weirdest <laughs> one for sure. And we've got I, I the mean, symbionts. Maybe the... There's lots of cannibalism. The symbionts eating. Well, that's not cannibal. Lots of people getting eaten. Well, uh, I, and then I mean, now they... it's replicated people. At least, I mean, I it's know, not that's people, question, right? Notch. That's not yeah. people. Like that's the thing. It's not people because yeah. it's, it's replicated in the fully cooked <laughs> form. I mean, I think it would be it's an the ethical gray. Soylent green. It's it's not people. Yeah. Right, right. It would, I, I think it would be ethically wrong if they replicated it and there were like live human cells in there. But if it's a re- fully like replicated, like well done human steak, I feel like that's that's different because that it wasn't ever alive, right? Yeah. Well, and but I I, I think that they've kind of touched on some of this. Like uh, Riker has these. Well, except in the episode Nepenthe, but they they talk about it being barbaric that people used to eat meat and like everything is replicated now and uh that we used to enslave animals for the purpose of meat i think is what what he had said but uh it's possible that people in the 24th now the 32nd century think about eating animal meat like as barbaric almost to the level of of uh eating human meat so like maybe replicating human meat is not a big deal because at least it's better than cannibalism which is the same thing as if you eat a chicken but uh, yeah <laughs> you guys are asking the real questions this is i yeah. think we need to i think star trek get be fine with Al- alex kurtzman and get, get a straight answer on this uh, oh man star trek oh man uh this i think might be a good time to say that there was some discussion about tuvix on the twitters uh mainstream twitter not just star trek twitter because uh, there were some famous people, including Representative Ocasio-Cortez, who were talking about Tuvix and the ethical areas of separating the two, was Jane, what, what Jane Ray did the right thing. Um, and I think my favorite post about that was the fact that they were, were talking about it two and a half decades later probably tells you that it was a great episode that was super thought-provoking. So I, I agree AOC with that. was talking about Tuvix on Twitter. Well, they're trying, they're trying to get her back on... Is it on... Uh, on twitch because uh, she did the what was the game that she uh, did among us among us yeah. yeah and so i'm not a gamer i don't know any of those things but um i'm just married to one so i kind of know a little tiny bit <laughs> but um anyway so they were trying to think someone was trying to think of like what the next thing they should get her on twitch for and there was a person that suggested talking about two vix and then uh kate mulgrew commented and then i think aoc said something i can't remember what it was that she said but anyway you can go look this up on the twits if you if you so choose, but uh, go watch Tuvix. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on it. I don't know. We should. They, they, yeah. She totally killed him, by the way. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Someone... And he was cool. And he was way cooler <laughs> than either Tuvok or Neelix. Okay, that is where like I know you're wrong. Like the other one, like I think this is philosophical. Like yeah, but Tim Russ, come on, man, come on, yeah. man. Uh, playing Tuvok. Are you kidding me? Uh, anyway, yeah. um, Commander Nan existed in this episode. And I think that's the most we're going to be able to say about her. So, she but Jet Reno didn't. I was so sad. Yeah, she was captured on camera in a scene. Yeah, yeah she was. She was the. Uh, she was like working on the engines of the shuttle that Adira and Burnham took to go down to the planet. Like that's that's my head cannon. Okay, uh, memorable moments. What 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 stuck with y'all with this episode? I liked the way uh, uh, Gray described himself after joining when he said, I'm still me, just more me. I just thought that was kind of 
kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like just how the, yeah. it's just kind of a cool way of looking at the whole symbiont joining, how it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't bury who you are. It amplifies who you are. Um, I have to say that I, I enjoyed all of the sequences in the like stringy, like thing where Dira and Burnham are talking to one another. I, I like that's those scenes very much as well. Yeah, the, the, like that, that I, even though I was still frustrated a little bit about uh, bringing Burnham down there for no reason, like it was the visuals were absolutely amazing, and I and I thought the way that they that we sort of got introduced to, to some of Adira's memories was also was really well done. So I like I I think I really appreciated how a lot of this was explored, even if there were some things that were just kind of like, and then Burnham is stuck in here. But like, well, and now I just want to see the alternate version of it that has Colbert playing hmm. that role. Yeah. All right, let's let's jump into strange new ratings because this episode is uh, getting there in terms of time. Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating for the spreadsheet? Uh, I think I'll I'll jump in. We don't need to have a, a four minute pause uh, and uh, in bet- where there's silence. Uh, so I I'm gonna give this one a nine because uh, for for me this episode I think Star Trek has found its purpose in this season. I uh, I feel like something that's been missing in a lot of modern Star Trek is things that make us uncomfortable and think about ourselves and like how we relate to the world and whatnot. Like uh, for I give TOS a lot of flack for uh, like obvious issues of like ses- sexism and racist and uh, other things, but like it was trying to change people's minds about ha- things that they sort of just accepted in their society, and I'm not sure that discovery did that too much in the first two seasons and like i love uh star trek 2009 and the uh, the other ones but for the most part they're hinging on like remember these guys is it w- what if they were hotter and we had cooler <laughs> ships like mm-hmm. it's Wait, hotter than bill shatner <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, he was a good he was a looker for sure for sure for sure hey, so I, I thought he it, was it, pretty cute when i was a kid yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm more speaking about literally every single person in Star Trek 2009 is beautiful, uh, beyond just Chris Pine. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I just, I think that they are finding their footing, and like, I'm just, I, this, I want this out of my Star Trek. I love the idea that we're exploring, like, like, hey, think about the things that you're well, that you're holding deep inside yourself and not examining. Like, what if you explored that? What if you like? had some conflict with your friends or with your family in a way that tried to be constructive and to build something out of it. And I just, I loved that and I want it more. I'll go with mine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 4.5 um, for the same reasons. Also, this was the first episode for this season that I did not feel that, oh, I don't, I don't like the, mm-hmm. the setting they're in. I do not like this future. I do not like what they have torn apart. That was a, this was the first episode that I didn't have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, it's also the first episode that made me cry and uh, for this season. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever cried in Discovery actually now that I think about it, but for sure this episode made me cry. And then um, it would have gotten a five from me if it had been Culber down there instead of, instead of Burnham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow the crowd. I'll give it nine squids out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I mean, um, it's this is by far Discovery's best season. It feels almost like a different yeah. show, and it's great. I really like it. 
Um, and this episode was like uh, what what the what the fans have been asking for, and what the critique had been um, that there wasn't a lot of character connection, that it was all plot driven. This is really really good character stuff, and also a, a big improvement over '90s Trek because there there are consequences of events that have happened in prior ep- episodes that are not really plot related it's not about the red angel or whatever it's like mm-hmm. wow they just like a bunch of people got hurt and some people died in this like violent battle and they're having trouble dealing with it right and it's just simply that which is like should be enough right but it hadn't been historically in star trek so i yeah i thought it was great i'm gonna go with a seven and a half i agree with everything that's been said so far i just had a couple of littles snags that i that i was hooked on but uh solid episode very positive and uh i i have nothing bad to say overall well if, if there had been replicated human meat would that have gotten you to nine 11 out of 10 <laughs> uh that's you know that's a human question i want to see explored ethical question michelle paradise write that episode please uh that, i think that would be great we should we should explore that uh, but anyway, I want to thank Bill, Adam, Emily for being here today. Appreciate you joining joining me. Thank you, Notch. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks, that. Thank you, Rudy, Dinah, and Max. I uh, hope y'all are having a good time wherever y'all are. Thank you, listener, for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on on at Strange New Takes on various social media. Don't forget to rate us five stars on iTunes if you got the time. Please, please go and do that. Thanks to Jishnu Guha. For our theme music, he's got a podcast named Geek Fruit. If you you could listen to, it if you so choose, and uh, thanks to the person who like set up the spread on Saru's table. Good good eyes, you know. Maybe it's Saru itself. I don't know, but like we need more charcuterie in Star Trek, and like these these food like displays. It makes us feel good about ourselves to see food displayed like that. So thanks for, thanks a lot it's tonight. Riker. Yeah, it's Riker. It's from the USS Titan. It beamed in. Boom. Done. Um, Okay, with that, we'll see you in another week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.